This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Alera Health Products. Every time I turn on the news, there is something about COVID. There is something about the flu. There is something about viruses. Medical experts are understaffed. There's so much going on. The best way to avoid doctors is to improve your immune health. There's a product that I just learned about called Immune Extra. And it's the only product available that can increase immune health up to ninefold in as little as nine days. It does so by increasing the amount of messenger cells that alert the immune system of any invaders. It's only one per day for maintenance. Think of it as a multivitamin for the immune system. Dosages can be increased to up to 15 per day with no side effects ever reported after millions of doses. It's been around for over 30 years. It's just new to sports with friends. It's not new to the world. It's now available in a triple strength formula originally sold only by doctors. And if you have tested positive for COVID or any respiratory illness, it's a true medicine cabinet product. Immediately when someone close to me tested positive, I wanted to know exactly what I should do. I contacted doctors. While we are not giving medical advice, this is something you want in your possession. It should be taken upon the onset of symptoms. Go to their website, www.immuneextra.com. And when you're checking out, get 15% off just for finding this from Sports with Friends. The keyword that you have to type when you're at checkout is FRIENDS15. You know, friends. Friends15 at ImmuneExtra.com. And go to their website and check it out. Because if you don't want to just take my word for it, listen, my word's not gospel. Neither is anyone else's that you might hear from today. But go to the website. Check it out. Read about it. And you know what else I did? I Googled it. Click on news. There's nothing about any harm. There have been no side effects. There's nothing about this that would be alarming. Give your immune system a fighting chance against everything that's out there in the world, including COVID. Go to ImmuneExtra.com, use the keyword FRIENDS15, and they'll know you found this from Sports with Friends. Welcome to yet another episode of Sports with Friends. My name is Seth Everett. This is our podcast. This is going to be a fun one, but I know I say that all the time. It's okay. Sometimes you just like what you're going to be doing. It's a fun podcast to listen to. The origin story for this gentleman is incredible. And the best part of it, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, not his opinion, is that he is from Seattle. Seattle, a place that I used to live in, Uh, Seattle, a place that I technically call my second home, Um, Seattle, Washington. And the story goes, and he will obviously tell it much, much more in depth. Uh, He is the originator. He and his brother created the most popular posters of the 80s and 90s. And they were sports posters. John Kostakos is with us today. And the posters that he made, Brian Bosworth and Sean Kemp, and the origin of all of them is truly, truly fascinating. 
We're going to talk to John about it. He's also diving into the world of NFTs. So he's got new posters coming, but they're in the format of digital. And it's a completely different business model. And we're going to get into what an NFT is, for those of you who don't know. But we're also going to get into how NFTs can impact sports. Plus, plenty of stories about Seattle. So that's all coming up. It is also the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. We get into the Super Bowl. Also, what else is going on in sports with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, what are we going to be talking about today? Seth, we're under two weeks to the Super Bowl. So in my downtime, I'm going to learn about NFTs. Yes, the NFTs. We'll, there are going to be people who listen to the podcast and say, I already know what an NFT is. I'm telling you, there's a very simple explanation. So on this podcast, we are going to go to a place I'm very familiar with to talk to a person I'm not as familiar with, the lovely Pacific Northwest, the Emerald City itself, Seattle, Washington. John Kostakos uh, was with us here on Sports with Friends. And first of all, indulge me here. What part of Seattle are you in? And you know how I love that city. Is that why you agreed to come on this podcast? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Because you have a connection with my city. I live in West Seattle. I live up up the hill from Alki Beach. That's awesome. I was going to move there. I was going to move to West Seattle. uh, And then I got the job at Major League Baseball and I left. And I was with I the can Mar- see that. I worked with the Mariners and the Mariners making the playoffs uh, in 2000. Uh, I traveled with them and we went to New York and I met a bunch of people who were starting this MLB radio network and that um, they didn't know that I was from New Jersey. So they just hired me and uh, I moved from Seattle. And that was uh, that was all she wrote. Speaking of the Mariners and playoffs. I wish I had saved this, but I had a mad magazine from the mid nineties and mid or late nineties. And they had a feature called, called, uh, obsolete jobs. And it was one frame cartoons. And there was this dead guy leaning against a wall with cobwebs all over. And he had a fan of tickets in his hand. It's at Seattle Mar- Mariners world series ticket scalper. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but we'll get there. If the Cubs, it. if the Cubs and the Red Sox can win, we will eventually. Well, this could be a new record for Sports with Friends on the earliest parts of the podcast that we're going off on tangents. But uh, I have a great Kingdom story for you. Um, the Kingdom, uh, when they had, remember they had two finales for it. They had a Mariner version and a, uh, a Seahawks version, yeah. and the Mariner version was in the summer, and. Normally, when we did post game, we would do a half hour after the game. And so we had to go out on the home plate exit, but the media parking was in left center field. So every night we would go out and walk the, we would case the joint, you know, go to walk around. Well, for the Kingdom finale, KJR, the radio station that I was working at, decided we were going to do a two hour post game show, you know, with the ceremony and everything that was was going on. And we realized as we were breaking down our equipment, we said, well, why can't we go out any exit? We don't have to just leave at the regular exit. Why don't we walk across the field and go out the center field exit? Well, that's the direct line to our cars. 
and it was four of us. Actually, every person in that group has been on this podcast before. Dave Softy Mahler. Uh, the best. Shannon Dreyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Stelton. All, all three of them and, and myself. And we were walking across and we took a picture that, that's been all over social media that was on the pitcher's mound. Uh, Softy wanted to know what it felt like to slide into second base. So they no. kept daring me to do something. And I w- we were walking beyond center field and they said, wouldn't you want to know what it feels like to crash into the wall? Like Griffey. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I, you know, I was 26. I was a badass. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. And I run full speed into the center field wall, not knowing that they had already dislodged it to get ready for Seahawks. And I knocked it over. Knocked it over. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you had video of that, we don't you? We ran. We ran for our lives. We thought we were going to get arrested. We were, we were gone. We were like, get out of here. We have to get out of here. How, oh. how big was the piece that fell over? How wide was oh, it? Oh, it was like the left center field wall. Oh, it was, it was like the whole <laughs> thing fell backwards. Oh, my God. It was Brilliant. so embarrassing. It was, it was, I'll never, I'll never forget it. Uh, John, you were a big Seattle fan and you coined the phrase, a phrase I love. You coined the phrase purple rain. And it was part and parcel to your t-shirt company. And I explained this in the open. You had this t-shirt company and you transformed it into a poster company. I know you've told the story a thousand times, but for those listeners to the podcast that don't know the origin story of this amazing Costacos collection. How did this whole thing start? I graduated from University of Washington and I, uh, with a business degree and I, I liked creative stuff and I wanted to start my own business. And I thought t-shirts, I, I was always fascinated with t-shirts and, you know, cause you'd see a t-shirt that you like and sometimes sometimes something would hit and you could sell a ton of them if, if something became popular. And so I was playing around, I just started, I was playing around with the idea and uh, uh, I woke up, my alarm clock went off on a Sunday morning and Princess Purple Rain was playing. It was the day after the, the Huskies beat Michigan on the road. It was a big win and the defense had just really shut them down. And so, uh, and as the next week or two went by, the defense clearly was was one of the very, probably the best defense they ever had up until that point. And uh, I just nicknamed them the Purple Rain, spelled it R-E-I-G-N, and yep. made some T-shirts, and there it went. And then uh, it, it, I sold 23,000 shirts, and I didn't know what I was doing. It was just a brand new That's start. Crazy. And to sell that many that quickly, you know, especially in the era before, you know, fax machines and internet you know anything like that and so it uh it it went well enough that they my brother and i were talking about doing another one and so we came up with real men wear black for the raiders yep and we trademarked that and it was selling even in seattle because raider fan raiders fans are everywhere well kjr i remember in the 90s would air raiders games yeah, because they didn't yeah, have the rights to the Seahawks, they would air the Raiders games. So, yep. That was one of Softy's first jobs. Was he board up the Raiders games with Joel Myers doing that. the play by play? I didn't know that, but I know the Raiders are they're popular ever, and Raiders fans are awesome. 
So we we uh, started making the, the real men wear black shirts. And I was in a sporting goods store called The Locker Room. I don't know if you remember those, sir. There were six or seven of them owned by a local guy named Terry Friedlander. And uh, we I was in the one downtown. I think it was like six in Union, somewhere around there. And he, I went to the store. I was talking to the girl that was working there. And I, we were just talking about how the shirts were selling and then how business was. And I said, I, I said, what do, pe- what do people ask for that you don't have? And she said, a poster of Kenny Easley. And that, if I hadn't asked that question, I don't know what I'd be doing today. That's crazy. And so a lot of things had to happen. So I called up the Seahawks and asked for uh, how I get the number for Kenny Easley's agent. They sent me the marketing department. They said Jeff Lee Moran, Steinberg. right? Jeff Moran? Yeah. Well, they said Lee Steinberg. And, and I'm thinking, Lee oh, wow, Steinberg, that's... who was on Sports with Friends literally two weeks ago. All right. So, you, so and Lee was the biggest. He was the, he was like a, he was the one biggest name agent at the time. He was, he did a lot of publicity. And, and so he was out there and I thought, wow, this, and he had a ton of quarterbacks and bigger names. And so I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get a hold of this guy. Well, I'll try anyway. So I left a message and Jeff Morad called me back. He was new to the firm. He was Lee's brand new partner. And so he called me back and, uh, and I was lucky because Kenny want, Kenny handle a lot of his own stuff and he wanted to meet with me. So that was a little intimidating. And, and I went and met with Kenny. We, we went to Hector's restaurant in Kirkland and had breakfast. And so how and old are you at this point? You're like 24, 20, 25, 23, almost so, 24. So yeah. Meeting a, meeting a Seahawk player at that point is like, Holy crap. Yeah. And, and meeting Kenny easily. <laughs> he was your favorite he, player. Uh, yeah. He and Steve Largent, you know, uh-huh. and uh, well, I mean, Jim Zorn, they were all, they all were really, but I mean, Kenny, Kenny's uh, Kenny was the least approachable, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's just more quiet. Kenny looks at you and he's, he's a really nice person, but he's very, he has kind of a serious disposition and he's one of those people. It, I mean, not quite like Don James. I was always uncomfortable with Don James. He was a guy that was so perfect. He never wanted to screw up you know, easily. He's just a big, intimidating guy. And it was kind of fun. But he was so nice and like just very, very thoughtful in his questions. And uh, he liked the idea. And then when, when he, and then he said, well, how come, you know, you've never made a poster before. Why should I try? Why should I try this with you? And I said, uh, well, I'd never made a t-shirt before. And it went really well. And we'll make it our life to make this a success for you. And he said, yes. And so when anybody ever asks, any of my friends, kids ask about starting a business, I tell them, look, Kenny easily said, yes. Um, you were one yes answer away from, from something good in your life. You just got to try and ask. More with John Costacos on these posters and we're going to transform into the NFT world. But last week were the championship games, and then next week, it's the Super Bowl, the biggest online gambling thing in sports. We welcome in the head odds maker of VivadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, before we get to the Super Bowl and obviously the big Pro Bowl this week, there's other news. Tom Brady retiring means the big question mark in the NFL is Aaron Rodgers. I would imagine now there are many more odds uh, on Aaron Rodgers' future than there was when we had that conversation last week. Absolutely, Seth. And uh, Brady exiting stage left uh, really does open the door. And it, it's the first domino of what's going to be a really intriguing offseason in the NFL. And I think that it certainly starts with where's Aaron Rodgers going to be. And uh, right out of the gate, probably not Green Bay. Uh, 
and now that Tom Brady is officially retired, you know, we weren't sure if he was just announcing or, you know, he was teasing it out, waiting for a signing bonus, but it's, it's, I think it's officially done now. I think we could say it's officially done, but, uh, really looking at our odds and what just makes sense, what's available, where teams need to fill out this spot. Uh, I don't know if there's a team or a location that makes more sense than Tampa. Uh, Tampa and the state of Florida itself certainly seems to align with how uh, Rogers feels about COVID and COVID policies. And hey, they just seem to be missing a number one QB right now. So we actually have the Bucks as ever so slight favorites at Bavada to be the next landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the other teams uh, currently uh, available for wagering, uh, he could stay with Green Bay, of course. We have that as a slight underdog. And then a little bit more out there, uh, you have teams like Denver, teams like New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans uh, looked like they had something with Jameis Winston uh, early in the season, but of course he had some health issues that limited his ability to produce. And uh, even if you like Jameis Winston, everybody likes Aaron Rodgers, at least for his performance on the field. So, uh, you know, you'd be looking at a massive upgrade in New Orleans. I think Denver is a really good fit because they're kind of in between whether, certainly it's not going to be Drew Locke, uh, maybe Teddy Bridgewater's the guy out there, but uh, certainly a lot of options. I just, I don't see him going back to Green Bay at this point. Uh, I think Tampa makes the most sense. Well, the interesting part now, you know, the offensive coordinator from the Packers is now the head coach of the Broncos. So That's right. That connection. You know, again, I just think that this is something that you could place bets on this, you know, forget trying to read his mind. It's it's possible that you could place bets on something like that. Uh, do we dare break down the Pro Bowl? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, listen, like you said, Seth, uh, it is available for wagering. Uh, it is on the website. But I mean, come on, we, we've already got 200 different Super Bowl props out there. Stuff that is, uh, listen, I'd say betting on the halftime show is less degenerate than betting on the Pro Bowl. Unless you've found that edge, unless you've figured out what these teams are going to be doing. And we've seen that in recent years. You know, when they switched, uh, you know, that one year when the league really uh, caught some grief because the defenders weren't trying at all. The next year, the total just plummeted because the players were forced to actually try a little bit. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a joke of a game. The limits are going to be low. We will have some version of live betting for it, but uh, so you know, th there will be uh, there will be betting. There will be lower limits. There will be live betting uh, for this game at Bavada, but uh, that that's really all I can say about a game like the Pro Bowl. It, it's there. It's available. Uh, I, I couldn't even tell you who's playing right now, who's starting on either side of the ball. Uh, but hey, listen. That said, we are Bavada. We are an online sports book. We will have those odds. Well, if you're and if you're if you're looking for something that you don't want to bet the Pro Bowl, there's always the NHL All Star Game. Oh, oh boy! Yeah, that you have to be. You have again. I I like I like the skills competition stuff because we do odds for that as well at Bavada for the and I I enjoy handicapping that stuff more so than I do uh, the game itself. Uh, all right, uh, next week we're going to go deep into the props. That's kind of what our tradition now that we've done this podcast for over a year now. Um, we'll get into all the, the props, the, the, the anthem, the, the halftime, and all, all of that stuff. Um, what about the game? What about the early odds on the game? Granted, this podcast is coming out 10 days before. Right, so what we've seen so far, Seth, uh the LA Rams uh, opened and we had this line up uh, within minutes of the final whistle. 
uh, Sunday, and the Rams are four-point favorites uh, to st- for this up, up for the Super Bowl. They are four-point favorites for the Super. I was gonna say the upcoming Super Bowl. That's pretty redundant. They are four-point favorites, and that line has not moved yet. Where we have seen some movement so far, Seth, is that we opened the over/under at 50 at Bavada and it has now trickled down to 48 and a half. So a little bit more money early on coming in on the under. Uh, I don't expect that to be the case uh, leading into the big game itself because uh, m- much like most primetime games, most nationally televised game, games like this that are getting so much attention, uh, a good majority of that will be coming in as we get closer to kickoff. Uh, the limits will be increased as we get closer to kickoff as well and know a little bit more about what our uh, players are doing, what the actual players in the field are doing, and essentially just when we have even more information and uh, also when we feel a little bit more settled with all the props that we're going to be offering alongside it. So uh, to recap, as it currently stands up, pretty split on the uh, spread of uh, minus four right now. Again, Rams are early favorites uh, and a little bit of a trickle down in that over-under as betters are favoring the under in the Super Bowl so far. That is the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. He'll be back next week with the odds on the Super Bowl. We have a big Super Bowl preview plan, just like we always do with Sports with Friends. Now back to the poster conversation, the NFT conversation. John Costacos, this is such a charming story. Let's get back to it. Just to put some context uh, into uh, when I lived in Seattle, Don James had just left. I got there in the summer of 98. And Rick Neuheisel had just been hired. And I knew Rick Neuheisel from when he was at Colorado. And he didn't like me then. <laughs> and so I was like, I stayed away from the University of Washington as much as I could. And then the kingdom closed and the Seahawks played their games at Husky Stadium. And all yeah. I remember saying to Hugh Millen and Softy is they'll do anything to get me in this building. <laughs> like <laughs> I tried to stay away as much as I could. I remember... The, the passion when they went from purple to gold helmets I mean, it literally was like you would you would think they were talking about Yankee pinstripes like it was yeah. incredible what I'd never seen a franchise with that passionate a fan base in college sports because in, in every college sport that I had been I went to Syracuse but they don't care about football that much. Yeah, no, Husky football is, is Husky football is really important here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Don James, Don James was he was like our he was our Nick Saban. Yeah. The 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 posters are are, I mean, unique to to say the least. Um, and you're doing this with your brother at the time, and yeah. you had this. What what was it like? Okay, so this the Raider one does well, and then and then you know Purple Rain. You start to get uh, creative, but then what happens in like how do the creative juices get flowing? Like holy crap, we have to top this, and we have to top this, and top this, and like start coming up with really really amazing thing. The, the Bo Jackson one, the Brian Bosworth one, uh, the Jim McMahon one. I mean these these posters are. They're, everybody had them. Yeah, it was we 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 were lucky that we were good at something that was popular at that time. And I don't know if we helped make it popular or if we were just lucky. There's always going to be some luck involved, but we would 
we liked sports. We were sports fans. And I don't know that we were bigger sports fans than anybody. I mean, like, you know, Softy's the biggest sports fan I know, right? Huh. And and I just, we were, we were, we just liked it. And and so when the, the we shot the Easily poster and we had been, we had met Lester Hayes when we were down in LA uh, in the Raiders parking lot. Former Raiders, the Raiders were yeah. buying some of their yeah. shirts. And so, um, and we talked to Lester, told me we were doing a poster of Kenny, you know, they're both backs. So he gave me his number and we called him and talked to him about doing the, doing the judge theme with him because his nickname was a judge. And so, wow. And because it, it, it revolved around, it was like necessity with Kenny. Why would we, what would we make Kenny look like? What's his personality? Well, he, Kenny was a tough guy. Nobody is a great player, but one thing about him, but you didn't want to get hit by him. Right. And Lester Hayes, they called him the judge. And then, so we had, you know, we, we were planning on shooting. We, we shot Kenny Easley's in May of 86, shot Lester's in June of 86. And then, and then we sent a letter to McMahon. We just, the idea came up for Mad Mac and my brother and I had a debate about it and he was right. We're, we don't even know how to, how to produce, actually print. We've never printed anything, packaged anything or sold any posters. And we've already got to, it's, we should just deal with these. And I, I really pushed for it. And, and, um, and he, I drive my brother crazy. Uh, I, I mean, probably everybody too, but uh, especially my brother. But uh, we sent the letter to McMahon and he said, yes, it just seemed Mad Mac seemed like too good of an idea. Uh, and so, and, and that was the one when, when Sports Illustrated and USA Today ran that one. And then the AP guy, Barry Sweet, put it on the AP wire and we were getting phone calls from everybody. So out of necessity, you know, we would, when somebody would call whatever city they were in, we would tell them, yeah, we're thinking about doing something with this guy who happened to be the biggest star in that and city. And you were just, you were just a lot big sports fan. So you just knew, you knew yeah. who they were. You, you, you knew. Yeah. You're like, okay, we're going to be in Philadelphia. Let's Barkley. Here we go. Like, let's do this. Yeah. So we would, when I'll never, the Newsday did a story on us. And, and so he said, who else are you thinking? And off the top of my talking head. Talking about New York now, Newsday? New York Newsday. Yeah. 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 And I said, uh, Lawrence Taylor, you know, uh, Mark Gassino. And luckily it worked because Lawrence Taylor's a, a guy that did marketing for him. A guy named Steve Roser. He called a couple days later. And so it just, we fell into it. It was like, what's the guy's personality? Like, what can we do that would, you know, awesome. kind of make him the superhero? It's awesome. It's, 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 it's pretty remarkable. But what, what it turned into that I was taken aback by was how many athletes wanted to do this and how many athletes loved the experience. Um, Christian Okoye was interviewed about your, your company. And he just said, like, this was like, this is like what athletes today want to be on the cover of Madden. Like now they want to do the Madden video game. Like it, it, what it, what it was, was to have a cool poster was part of your brand in a time when I don't think the word brand was something that you connected with athletes. See nowadays an athlete, you know, even in college, especially now with this NIL stuff, the, the, the college athlete is a brand and how yeah. they promote it is something you guys help give these players identity with this, this creativity. It's not just that you had posters because there were posters in existence. These were the cool posters that the kids wanted. 
it's kind of crazy that it that it turned out that way because it, it just we were just create for the guy and the fans we had two focuses we whatever we made we wanted to make sure the guy loved it and so there's not it was like you know waiting it's like waiting for you know like test results at a you know at your from your doctor where it could be something bad if we, we the last thing we ever wanted to hear was i think it's okay but the thing we heard nearly every time was a phone call from the player after we sent him the completed post and said i love it you know and that was the best part so we made it for the player and the fans and so as long as we focused on that we, we thought we were doing all right you know there, there's one other thing that uh some were really obvious had in you know like i wish i wish claimed that we you know came up with the mailman for carl malone you know right, right, right. but he already had that so no no but you exacerbated it yeah, we took it and said, okay, let's not just call him the mailman. We did the special delivery thing. Yeah. And uh, it was weird because at, around that time, we were we were at the Sporting Goods show in Atlanta, and and, uh, and we we ended up getting approached by a guy from that did marketing for Converse and wanted to talk to us about doing their posters. So we set up a meeting and we went over to Converse, and, and the woman who was in charge of that was just really rude. And... You know, she's like, well, why, why would I be, you know, we have our own stuff. Why do we want to talk to you? I don't know. You guys asked me to come here. She was just really rude. And so we left. Anyway, about six months later, they copied our Carl Malone post. It was, wow. it was two-story, it was a white picket fence, a dog, a two-story white house. Uh, the only difference is that he was wearing his jazz, you know, Utah jazz sweat. So we had to send them a cease and desist letter. So on one hand, it was a, it wasn't even annoying to be really honest. It's kind of cool. Converse is copying us. Yeah, but it, it, it's also like then you need lawyers and you needed to patent and you needed to learn all these things. And you guys are learning this on the fly. Oh, yeah. We were learning a lot about about there are two things that we did. There was a, the obvious parody. There's a thing called the obvious parody. And the other one is likelihood of confusion. So if we do, for instance, Dominique Wilkins was the highlight zone, obviously from the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. And the quiet, you know, inevitably we would get a letter from, I think in that case, I forgot which movie studio or television, I think it was television, NBC, I think owned the rights to uh, Twilight Zone. I don't remember who exactly, but we would get a letter from their, you know, their IP lawyers who were doing their job, you know, and, and our lawyer would have to write back and say, this is an obvious parody. Nobody thinks this has anything to do with the Twilight Zone. It's not diluting your trademark. And um, there's no likelihood of confusion. Nobody's going to look at this poster of Dominique Wilkins and think it has anything to do with the Twilight Zone. It's just obvious because pretty much everybody knew they called him the human highlight film. So, yeah, lawyers, lots of lawyers. Good ones, though. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, bet. Um, I, I just I, the, the, the funniest thing is, is that, you know, it tells the story of the passion of the Seattle sports fan because the Seattle, I think, as a as a sports city is very underrated in their sports passion. And I think that yeah. stems from the departure of the basketball team. Yeah. Um, I think, I, well, but I think that, you know, you know, we covered that extensively on this podcast and I, my heart goes out to them. I had so many friends that lost their jobs because of it. You know, my, my gig with the Sonics was very funny. I was the backup to David Locke on the pre and post game. Yeah. And David used to go skiing all the goddamn time. So I would do like 12 games a year. 
and it was awesome because yeah, yeah it was awesome because it was just was enough to stay time. involved Those it was well fun. the joke the joke though is is i didn't cover sean kemp or george carl i got there for paul westfall and vin baker oh okay yeah. you know sean kemp um when they did uh when when sb nation did that story on us that, that um, yeah. video uh i was there when amy was entered uh Amy was interviewing Amy Nelson. Sean. She's a yeah, great Amy reporter. K. Nelson. Yeah, yep. she she did a great job with that. And uh, she and Sean, this got edited out, but I was there, and he said, "You know, he goes when I went to the All Star game after the Rain Man poster came. I went to the All Star game. He he said all the other you go in the locker room, all the other guys are coming up to me and, and telling me how my how awesome my poster awesome. was. And he said I'm sitting around with a bunch of NBA All Stars, and we're all talking about each other's Costacos posters." <laughs> yeah, that 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 was a really cool story to hear you know 20 some years later you know that you was think, really fun you know i've often thought about what will satisfy the seattle fan when it comes to the sonics i i, I just think the only way to do it is an expansion team and to get their records back um i think that you know not to to rehash all the all the, the politics of the whole thing but, you know, there, there's three villains of that story. I call them the Joker, the Riddler and Lex Luthor. Uh, the Joker is Clay Bennett. Uh, the Riddler is Howard Schultz because uh, he was the puppet that 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 got played, really. And mm -hmm. David Stern was the Lex Luthor of the whole thing. He was the mastermind of the whole thing. But one of the things that the mayor at the time, Greg Nichols at the time, uh, agreed was to let the Thunder take the records you know, so like the 1979 trophy uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, and when the rumor came that the Sacramento Kings might have been moved, mm -hmm. I remember I, I was on KJR, you know, I, I fill in there from time to time. And when I was on, I got the distinct impression that the fan doesn't want the Seattle Kings. They no. only want the Sonics. Back. The Sonics they, yeah. they only want that. So the only way to pacify that group is to give them an expansion team and get them their records back so that Gary Payton and Sean Kemp get their number retired, you know, in this new arena. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I hope we get a team back. You know, I did a poster of David Stern. Really? I'm going to send you a copy of my book. <laughs> You'll see it in there. Okay. So I, I had gone to the, uh, I sat with him at a, I was first time, I mean, I'd met him a couple of times, but I sat with him at a, uh, a playoff game. It was the early 90s, and um, and I had to leave at halftime because I had third-row tickets for Bob Dylan. Yeah. And and when I told I, I told him it was nice meeting with him, nice hanging out with him, but I got to go, and he looked at me like like I was crazy. Yeah. And, I, and I said, I got third-row tickets for Bob Dylan. And he just looked at me, and I, <laughs> and I left. And so um, I saw – this was in 92 because it was not too long after that that I saw him in Portland – at an event for the the 92 dream team and uh, i saw him in the buffet at the like the vip area and i had a pass to get in there i saw him at the, it was i saw him at the buffet uh and i was getting food i said hey commissioner stern remember me he looks over at me and he says stacos brothers guy leaves a playoff game at halftime to go see bob dylan oh my god he remembered it <laughs> so i told him i'd made it make it up for him he goes that's no, too late you're in the doghouse for life so I, I made a one of a kind poster called the Sterminator and uh, and uh, and sent it to him, framed it and sent it to me. I got a nice letter from him. He said everybody loved it. So. That's great. Um, 
Yeah, David Stern is an interesting character. Um, when he passed away, we did a tribute to him. Uh, we acknowledged exactly the, the the amazing accomplishments that David Stern had as commissioner. But in the in in the emphasis on journalism, the end of that podcast, Bob Stelton came on and just explained Stern's role in the departure. All right. Now you are getting into the NFT world. You got it. I, uh, I, I, I want to say uh, to our listeners that if you're interested in learning the inner nuances of NFTs, uh, I host another podcast called TechStream with Shelly Palmer, and uh, he breaks down exactly what NFTs are and all, all of that. But for, for sports fans who don't understand any of this, the, they don't understand crypto, they under, don't understand tech, why does an NFT have to be something as elaborate as a Costacos poster? Oh, does it have to be as elaborate? It doesn't have to be. This depends right, on what right, people like, want. Like if somebody, if, if you and I just smiled right now, we're on Zoom, right? If we just smiled, could that be an NFT? I mean, nobody and would yeah, buy it. Pretty, but... any, any digital, anything that you can create digitally could be an NFT. The NFT is a piece of the best way I can describe it is a piece of code embedded into the piece of digital art that authenticates. So if you buy uh, an art piece or a, or a, a print they, and it's one of 25 and they're signed by the author, right. Or the, the, the artist. Well, then you have number 12 of 25, right. And you have that and you have something that authenticates it in case you ever want to sell it with the NFT. It, the NFT is embedded in, in there and that, and it follows it around, uh, you know, for the life of forever. And it's on the, in the blockchain and the blockchain in a way is kind of like Carfax, only everything that happens to it is, is recorded. So if you buy the NFT for X dollars today uh, from the uh, artist, well, then there's a record of that. And if you sell it for five times that, you know, two years from now, there's a record of when you bought it, how much you paid for it. And so, you know, these things, they're, they're perpetual, they're forever. And so they can't be lost in a fire. They're, they're, they live in the digital world and, and they're around forever. And, you know, they'll be around in a hundred years. Somebody's going to have the NFT in their collection, you know, a hundred years from now or more. So it's, I mean, in a way it's like, if we do an NFT of an athlete today, okay. It's like, it's, it's like, I think about a hundred years ago, there's, you know, Honus Wagner and Ty Cobb and Walter Johnson and, and Babe Ruth. And it's, it's like having a piece of memorabilia uh, from a hundred years ago, you know, a hundred years from now, these things will exist. People will be able to have, and there's no storage problem. That's one of the interesting things about it is you don't get in trouble. Like all the issues that for, you guys had with the posters, you don't have those problems now. Uh, well, it's really, there's no distribution issues, which is really kind of nice. You don't have to ship, uh, and package and ship, but it's also kind of cool for, I realized for the collector, if you're, you know, collecting baseball cards or whatever, you're putting them in sleeves and three ring binders and organizing them that way. And that's part of the fun. On the other hand, there is, you have a lot, it takes up a lot of space. The NFTs don't. And so people have, have done, I mean, it's really interesting. It's brand new. And I had about five different people call me uh, last March in a short period of time. And a lot of really smart people were interested in, uh, in partnering up and, and, and creating some some new stuff. So, so if you're listening to this podcast the, when it's released, um, the announcement's coming out literally like today. So go to 
uh, the Costacos uh, Twitter page. It's going to be in the show notes. Show notes. They're going to release everything and find out what the images are uh, and the players are. Um, but so so, if I if I'm to understand this correctly, you learn about the NFT market. You're like, you know what? This could be another business for us. Are you making posters that are as cool as <laughs> what what you what you made? Like, are these Costacos collection po- images that are now just in the NFT phase. Well, they're whether they're whether they're cool like the old ones, uh, or whether they're cool or whether they're desirable is going to be up to the market. But I, I'm happy with what we've come up with. And I, so, what the first the first we we thought about what do we want to do in this space because it's brand new. And we thought, well, between the Morads and me, who are my partners on this. We have a lot of connections with my former clients and, and a lot of legends. And the first person that we that we signed up to to work with was Willie Mays, which was Get like here. So Willie Mays uh, is one of the images. Uh, that one that was our first drop, which came out a couple of months ago. Okay. And and you can see the pieces at CosacosCollection.com. It, it um it was like signing Willie Mays. It's like I have a photo of that signature page on the contract in my favorites in my phone is i felt like i did when i made the deal with kenny ease i felt like i was in my 20s again and starting over it felt like a kid you know i was so excited i mean willie mays it's like if of the the greatest legends in baseball there's like ty cobb babe ruth lou Gehrig, joe dimaggio mickey mantle ted williams and willie mays and he's the only one that's alive and he's he's willie mays and so and, and we got a fairly, we decided, you know, for the first one, he wanted us, he, he, he kind of, he, he really wanted us to do something with his, the early part of his career. Let's start with the early part of his career. There's more coming later, but with his time at the Birmingham Black Barons, yep. everything I knew about Willie was from, you know, the New York and San Francisco Giants. But it, so, and we got a whole bunch of amazing things from his personal collection to put in the one signature piece, there are a few different ones, but the one piece that was the most most work and the most fun was was uh, and it sold for fifty thousand dollars, which was kind of cool. But the uh, that's cool. creating it, his high school diplomas in it, and he was assigned the job of dry cleaner in high school. And his diploma, he's completed a degree in cleaning, dyeing, and pressing. And when <laughs> when Jeff asked me, so did you have any say in that? Because it was in, it was Fairfield Industrial High School in Alabama. And this is in the late forties, right? And he says, uh, Jeff asked him like, well, what about, uh, what about everybody? Or did you have any, any say in it? And he said, uh, no. He said, what about everybody else? And he said, well, the white kids on the other side of the barbed wire fence got to choose whatever they wanted. You know, so here he was assigned the job of dry cleaner. That was what they told him he was going to do in life. Thank God for baseball, you know, and he was, and then we got his report card too. His, his last report card from high school, which was brilliant because Willie Mays was the best point guard in the state of Alabama, the best quarterback in the state of Alabama and the best baseball player ever from the state of Alabama. And somebody gave him a B in gym class. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So we, we have a bunch of things like that. And so we, we trace his, we, we have his contract from when he was 16 years old when he signed to play in the summers professional baseball for the Birmingham Black Barons. And that's in there along with a picture of him from that time. And then a year later, a year and a half later, he's, 
he's the, the Giants bought his contract. And, uh, and there he was. Willie Mays is a fascinating uh, story. I mean, his, his, his legacy is incredible, but he's also, what I loved about Willie Mays is uh, he never lost his swagger. You know, as he got older, yeah. he never lost his swagger. He defended Barry Bonds to the heavens. <laughs> like yeah. he never, and unadulterated, unconditional. It they, they, He always felt that Bonds was being treated unfairly. Whatever your opinion on Bonds is, Willie Mays was a staunch defender of Barry Bonds. And, and yeah, he did you, it. you find out who your friends are when, when well, they're, they're relatives, there for yeah. you. When, when you when you even relative you find that well they're godfather he's the godfather that that's i know but what i mean is when it's inconvenient for them to defend you and be there for you that's how you find out how uh, who who your wartime friends are and think about that like yeah you want a friend like willie mays well it was one of the weird things you know i when i was working for mlb he he broke babe ruth's uh record the home run record or he broke hank aaron's record rather and yeah bonds and i remember i was in san francisco and Mays was there and just you know everybody knew about the rumor you know it was at the time it was a rumor that was the mm-hmm. difference you know mm-hmm. and it was just it's a fascinating uh I- I- idea um are there any other names of play obviously we can't see the images until you go to costoscollection.com but are there any players whether they're Seattle based or what I'm, what I'm interested in is you mentioned legends and this is with all due respect to Willie Mays, but I remember I turned down a podcast with an author who wrote a book about Casey Stengel. And my logic was, I said, I don't think there's a person that knows who Casey Stengel was that knows what a podcast is. That's a really good point. And my question, so, so the reason why I'm asking is this is in no way disrespectful to Willie Mays, but is there somebody who can appreciate the greatness of Willie Mays that knows what an NFT is? Yes, but not everybody. I would say that, that NFTs are new and to young people in their, you know, their thirties and younger you know, they grew up, everything in their life is in the digital age. So it's a native language to them. Mm-hmm. So they can understand it really easily. You know, and Willie didn't understand at the beginning. I mean, uh, I think a lot of us, you know, uh, don't fully understand it uh, because it's just different. We're used to tangible pieces of art and it's a whole, it's a brand new world. It, nobody knows exactly where it's going to go, but it's going to be around. And so, yeah, there, I think one of the things I'm surprised at, at how how some of my friends' kids, they want to know about it. We were just talking and they know Willie Mays' name, but a lot of them didn't even know They don't know, know how name. great he was, right. And, um, and they certainly, they, they don't know much about him. And I, I would say when I grew up, you know, you would read books and things here and there, but you, you knew the names and the legends. There wasn't a lot to read about. But if you were a sports fan, you knew who they were. I know who Casey Stengel was, you know, I'll, the the and I know what a podcast is by the way. <laughs> he, he um, but I, I think that that um, what's happened is is there's so much media available about all of the stars are now right in the living room of of or right on the phone of every kid every sports fan kid 
or grown-up sports fan. And so why everything that is timely right now, this is a very timely world. And so what's timely is the, uh, that everybody's got their, their Twitter and their Instagram stuff. Totally. You know, and, and so when you have, you know, people with 40, 50, you know, even some of the soccer players, the, the, the international soccer players got, you know, a few hundred million followers on some of these. So that's, who's timely to them. So some of these people from the past, I love the idea of, 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 of doing some of these images again, because a lot of the names and people like Jim McMahon, if you're from Chicago, you know who Jim McMahon is. Sure. If you're from another city, I'm surprised at how many of my friends, kids know who Jim McMahon is. They don't know a ton about him. But, but that would surprise him. me, right? That, that would know. surprise me. It, the whole idea of doing this now fascinates me because I would think the NBA is the most attuned to branding because they do social media better than any other sport. I would imagine there is, because this is a tech thing, I would imagine the NHL presents very, very interesting possibilities with mm -hmm. players because they, they understand how they market to their home markets best. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, the NHL started growing, truly growing, when they stopped worrying about whether or not anybody in Mississippi liked them and just make sure that people in Detroit love the Red Wings and people in Philadelphia love the Flyers, people in Seattle love the stinking Kraken. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's make crazy, sure dude. that's what the NHL needed and it crossed over. So this idea, you know, you take an Austin Matthews or a John Tavares, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you know, Sebastian Ajo, like these, these players are, icons in very very small areas they will not transcend like Giannis mm -hmm. yes yeah. you know yes and so and, and the nice thing about the digital world is you can create things for specific markets like that and so we're we're starting off with the legends we've talked to a few current players and I've got some really fun ideas and it's gonna it's gonna be a matter of getting somebody in the studio to shoot something new but we're starting off with the bread and butter, which is taking the images that we have from before and reimagining them with a different artist. We're also looking at, at, at having some new, something new, uh, some new superhero style images of, oh, that's of cool. the, the old posters. There's a lot coming in and, you know, it's a, what's fun is calling the guys up, yeah. you know, and saying, hey, long time no talk. You want to, <laughs> you know, I call up Lester Hayes. He's like, hey, I'm in. Jim McMahon, right. sure, you know, and we've got like, you know, some of our clients, our client list is like, they're legends and Hall of Famers and, you know, like, you know, Warren Moon, you know, Warren Troy Moon. Aikman. Uh, Husky legend, Will, Warren Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Will Clark, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, um, Troy Aikman, did I say him? Uh, Jim McMahon. I mean, look, Warren, think about Warren. Warren was, I mean, I watched him play when he was in college. And he led the he led Washington to a massive upset over number one Michigan in the Rose Bowl. It was the MVP of the Rose Bowl, and he was a great player. And he didn't get drafted in the NFL. He ended up playing in Canada. All right, and yeah, there's no question his color probably is, no. There's no question his color is why he didn't get drafted. Of course, of right, course. so he wins five straight Grey Cups, yep. and then after six years in Canada, okay, he comes in. He becomes the highest paid player in the NFL. All right. What an awesome story. And he's the first black quarterback in 
in the NFL. And, you know, when people say he opened the door, look, there are other others. You know, Doug, Williams, Doug Williams, right. Doug Williams yeah. gets a lot of the credit, but Warren yeah. Moon was there first. But Warren, Warren just didn't just open the door. He kicked the doors open, yep. you know, and just by being great. And I don't know, I don't remember if Warren got involved in anything, you know, political or PR wise regarding that particular issue, but he just played lights out for so many years. When you add up his yards, it's 70,000 passing yards. You add up his Canadian career. I mean, his professional career. That's a lot of yards. And so, yeah. yeah. You want to hear a funny Warren Moon story? Yeah. It was one of the few fights I ever got into with uh, Softy. Um, Dave was a groomsman in my wedding. Just that that's how close we were. Right. And uh, when the Seahawks had John Kitna as yeah. a quarterback, he was in their system. He was like their number three. Yeah. And they had signed the Seahawks signed Warren Moon. Mm-hmm. Now, Warren Moon was at the end of his career. And I went on KJR and said, Warren Moon's the quarterback of this team. I don't want this is not a sport where you go for the future. You don't bring up. Yeah. You bring up a a 20 year old shortstop and have him be the shortstop for 15 years. Warren moon's not going to be the quarterback for 15 years. He's going to be the quarterback for one. And softy disagreed with me so much. He never let it go. And I would say (laughs) if I called him right now, he would yell at me about Warren. Moon. Who threw the most perfect spiral? Oh, he was perfect. Oh, he's such a great player. Such a great player. I can't wait to see these images. I I, yeah, I think you're gonna like them. There's some fun stuff coming, and 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 the uh, you know just these guys. This has been fun because we get to work with the player again, right? And now it's easy. We can send something back and forth. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Where in the past, you know, we were shooting on film, you know, and and so to get you know the best images of, of something that we created and send it, you had to do it by mail because you couldn't do anything in color sure. by fax. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so it wasn't that efficient. Now you just, you know, send something right away. What do you think? And and we're thinking about this and that. And so it's really fun. And and uh and it's also fun remembering, you know, going through the history of each guy's career and remembering the great moments and finding ways to commemorate those in a in a piece of digital memorabilia. And so, and like fans used to buy our posters because it somehow connected them with the athlete. They had this big poster on the wall. Chris Ballard wrote something really nice in, in uh, years ago when they did the art exhibit with our stuff in New York. And he, he, he said, talked about the walls of a, of, a, of a teenage kid's room, you know, our sacred territory, and it's everything they love. And he talked about his Ronnie Lott poster, right. you know, our Ronnie Lott poster, designated hitter like right in the middle. And he just thought it was really cool. And, yep. and um, was Pam Anderson and, and a Costacos collection. Yeah. And he was, that, that was, was a kid's room. Yeah. And so you have, uh, it was their way to connect with these guys. And I think, and, and so now the cool thing is now it's, you know, I've, I've found for years, I've had so many people contact me asking if we can reprint the old ones. If I have any extras that I can send them and things like that. And, and what happened, what I've realized is, and this is kind of fun, this is surprising, my brother and I talk about it, all these people, these kids that had our posters, they're still sports fans, but they remember the yep. feeling that that poster or that that player, the great players, yeah, we remember the great moments and the, it inspires, 
you know that's a great thing about athletics because something great could happen anytime you know somebody comes back to win something at the last minute those kind of you remember those totally. and so now you know they were able to connect through the posters now with the nft i mean people can grab these things they're easy to buy they're easy to receive and and uh they don't get damaged in shipping um john thank you so much for doing this this was so much fun it was great to get in touch with you good luck with the nfts let's keep in touch and let's have you back thanks for having me on John Kostakos, ladies and gentlemen, that was a lot of fun. This episode is coming to a close, and next week, we can tell you it is going to be our Super Bowl preview. I cannot confirm exactly who will be joining us. I'm looking for some heavy hitters, uh, but until they confirm, I'm not going on a record on a podcast saying, well, we're going to have somebody, because until you know, you don't know. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday with our Super Bowl preview edition of Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. smile Come on, please I'm gone, forget to reach me by phone, because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see me again I hope that you have been the kind of person that you really are now